Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 14, page 1096 in your Schofield Bible, and verse number 16. <clears throat> then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things, and the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for another opportunity to preach. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God and for these that have gathered here this morning. And I pray that you would bless this time that we have together. Have me, Lord, just to be a vessel that you would fill and use. I pray for wisdom and understanding, the power of the Holy Spirit. Meet the need of every heart today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I want to uh, bring a message today on the subject of supper time. And before I do that, the Bible says here in verse 17, he sent his servant at supper time. Uh, I want to explain a little bit about this parable. Of course, I think the primary interpretation is that uh, that uh, those that were bidden are is Israel, and they refuse to come, and and so the Lord allows us Gentiles to get in. But uh, there's practical lesson here, as we learn. Uh, the Bible talks about these excuses. I was reading that the last sermon that D. L. Moody preached was from this scripture, and it was titled "Excuses." He preached it uh, November the 23rd, 1899 at the Civic Auditorium in Kansas City. Fifty people were saved. About a month later, he went to be with the Lord. Uh, but uh, uh, excuses. The Bible says they began to make excuse. Now, in those days when a, someone was bidden to a supper, uh, they were told the day. For instance, uh, they, someone may say, uh, I invite, I'd like to invite you for supper uh, next, uh, next Sunday. Now, we'd understand that. But in that day, they did not know the exact hour. They knew the day, but uh, they may not know. I'll let you know the, the exact time to come. And this is the idea here. And so they've been told the day, and then they're invited to come. Now, the, they begin to make excuse after they had already agreed to come. They begin to make excuse. The first one said, 
I bought a piece of ground, a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. Now I want to ask you, was that very smart? Would you buy a piece of property uh, having not seen it? Uh, not likely. Someone I heard about someone that bought some property in Florida, and when they went to see it, it was under several feet of water. Uh, I want I want buy a piece of property unless I saw it. But this man said, I bought a piece of ground, and I've got to go look at it. Now, the second one, he had about as flimsy in his shoes. He said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I, I bought some oxen, but I, I hadn't tried them out. I don't know uh, where they'll plow or not. Uh, that, that wasn't uh, much of an excuse, was it? And then the third one, you say, well, now, he had a good excuse. He said, I married a wife and I cannot come. Someone said, he had the worst excuse of all. <laughs> what have you said to your wife, honey? You don't have to bother uh, cooking anything today. We're going to go out. She said, I don't want to go. Not likely. <laughs> he had the worst excuse of all. I married a wife. Listen, they're going to eat. They're going to suffer. And he said, but I can't come. Well, these, I think, were all bad excuses. And, uh, but uh, I've heard some over the years is probably just as bad. And uh, so we, uh, I'd like to take the message, though, from this thought of supper time. Well, when I was growing up, and still to me, there's breakfast, dinner, and supper, uh, that's country, country language. Now, if, you, if you're, uh, you know, uh, more cultured, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That confuses me. You invite me to dinner, I'll be there at 12. <laughs> I show up in the middle of the day. Uh, you, better, you better say, uh, tell me what you mean. But, uh, but uh, in days gone by, it was, it was like that, and... I can remember a wood cook stove. Can you remember that? I can remember my mother laboring over a wood cook stove. I can remember me and my brother laboring to cut the wood for that stove. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, this kind of weather we've been having the last few days, that is tough, I'll tell you. And building that fire and, and uh, there uh, cooking the meal, but I tell you, you have never eaten until you've eaten a meal that's been prepared on a wood cook stove. I don't know, I don't know what the, the difference is, but cornbread baked in a wood cook stove and pinto beans just is amazing. Now we, you know, we wasn't rich when I was growing up. In fact, I guess we was poor. Someone said when I was growing up I was poor, but I, I didn't know I was poor because everybody's poor. But uh, uh, we always had plenty to eat. And uh, uh, most of what we ate was, is what was raised in the garden, what grew. You came back, I, that's, that's the way I still like to eat. I, uh, you that know me know I'm not for this fancy dishes. You know, I, I just like it plain. Uh, I like taters and beans one meal and beans and taters the next. But uh, you can't beat that uh, green beans or pinto beans and uh, 
potatoes and corn on the cob and apple butter, uh, cornbread and milk. Uh, my wife occasionally fries me some fat back, good and brittle. I'd about soon have that as steak. And, uh, but uh, supper time, uh, that, uh, uh, that was, that's a pleasant memory. And, and uh, of course, when the meal was prepared, uh, the, uh, they'd call, come on to supper time. Uh, and uh, that uh, was, of course, a pleasant thing and a blessed thing. Didn't have to, have to encourage us too much. <laughs> Uh, my my grandmother was a, was a tremendous cook, and uh, Janie's grandmother. I'll tell you, she, uh, when me and my wife, we were first married, didn't have any children. We'd go see them, and and she'd prepare enough for an army, seemed like. And uh, but I'll tell you, when she got it, when she got it ready, you never you never saw such a meal in your life. Uh, supper time. Uh, they, you know the Bible talks about supper time. In fact, there are three in particular. He talks here about uh, he sends his servant at supper time to say then that we're bidden, come for all things are now ready. So I guess if the Bible uses supper, it'd be good for us to kind of stick with Bible language. But I want us to look at this thought. There are three suppers spoken of in the Bible. And... Uh, the first one is the Lord's Supper, and we're going to observe that today. And uh, I'd like to speak about that. And then there is the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bible talks about. And then there's the great supper of God, and I may not get them all today. If I don't, I'll finish tonight. But let's talk about uh, the Lord's Supper. And, and I like, we, it's referred to as communion, or, uh, but I just like biblical language, the Lord's Supper. Is, is Bible language. If you turn over in Luke chapter 22, we have uh, the Lord Jesus instituting this, uh, uh, this supper at the time of the Passover. And now the Passover was a memorial of when God spared the firstborn of, of Israel. You remember they were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord sent Moses down there to, to deliver them. And he plagued Egypt with all these plagues, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not let Israel go. And finally, God had to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians, to, and he finally relented and allowed them to leave, uh, leave for the promised land. Uh, and every year, about uh, what is there, March or April, uh, time, the beginning of the months there at Israel, they, they were to observe the Passover. All this, of course, pointed to Christ. And they were to kill the lamb and shed its blood. And, and uh, this memorial service, on the occasion of the Passover, the Lord institutes a new memorial. He sets up a memorial for us. And it's called the Lord's Supper. And let's read about it here in Luke 22 and verse 14. The Bible said, well, verse 13 said, They went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, Would desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any 
more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And of course, that's yet to come, the millennial reign. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now this was certainly an amazing thing that Jesus did. He was taking this Passover observance and he took, the, he took the bread. He said, this is my body. He took the juice. He said, this is my blood. You know what he was saying? He said, I'm the one that Passover was talking about. I'm not what all, what all that was about. It's me that the Passover was portraying. And so uh, he sets up this, this wonderful observance uh, for you and I. Now there's some, I want you to turn to John 6, please. John chapter 6. And uh, we learn uh, about this, uh, this event. Some more things about it, although I do not believe that Jesus in John 6 is necessarily referring to the Lord's Supper. But uh, we have the truth I want us to look at, and that is that the Lord's table, or the Lord's Supper, is a table of salvation. Now, I do not believe that partaking of the Lord's Supper saves you. I do not believe that at all. I do not find that taught in the Word of God. And we'll, although this scripture is probably the basis that some try to base that on. But uh, neither do I believe that partaking of the Lord's Supper forgives you of your sin. In fact, uh, we're warned not to partake of it with sin in our life. But in John 6, uh, the Lord, of course, has fed the 5,000, this great miracle, and they followed him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, not for the miracle, not for who he was, but because they did eat and were filled. And they thought, man, here's a man that can take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000. He's answered all of our problems. Uh, but uh, the Lord was teaching a, a greater truth in, in John 6 and verse... Uh, uh, 48, uh, well, verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now they, they struggle with this. Rightly so. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat man and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, let me ask you the question. Was Jesus Christ teaching cannibalism? He said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I do not believe that for a minute. Why? Because the law, the law of God forbid that. In Genesis 9, 3, and 4, Leviticus 17, 10 through 16, Leviticus 19, 26, all those scriptures forbid the eating of blood with the flesh. So if Jesus Christ had taught that literally, then he would have been violating his own word that he had given to Moses. And uh, I want to say when we observe the Lord's Supper that this bread does not turn into the flesh of Jesus. And this blood does not turn into the blood of Christ. That, uh, I believe, is, is false doctrine that certainly cannot be supported by Scripture. You say, well, it says right here in the Bible that you've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But again, he's not speaking literally because that would violate the Word of God. And also, if you look at verse 63 in this same Scripture, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak in you, they are spirit, and they are life. Jesus Christ is speaking spiritually. He is not speaking literally that they literally ate his flesh and drank his blood. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, Take it, this is my body. In fact, flesh is not even used in the accounts of the Lord's Supper. And they did not bite the end of his finger off, did they? Nobody believes that. That, uh, that they literally ate Jesus, literally, physically. We know that did not happen. He's speaking spiritually. And uh, his, the flesh, he said, that uh, he says, the, uh, the bread, verse 51, the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's simply saying that we must appropriate the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. We must accept his broken body, his, his flesh, his blood that he offered in payment for our sin. It is a table of salvation, although salvation does not come by observing the Lord's Supper. But that that is represented by it, what we represent today, what we typify today, what we remember today is Jesus Christ, his broken body, his suffering flesh, his shed blood, and that does bring salvation. He that hath a son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It is a table of salvation. Second of all, it is a table of separation. Now turn to 1 Corinthians, if you will, please. In chapter number 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 21, then we'll look at chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 10 and uh, 21. Well, verse 16 says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? 
The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ. It is that fellowship with him. In verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now in verse 23 of chapter 11, he said, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. Uh, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and then drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For we will judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, and we shall not be condemned with the world. Now, nowhere did Jesus say, if you partake of the Lord's Supper, I'll save you. If you partake of the Lord's Supper, I'll forgive you. But he does say, if you believe in me, I'll save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved, and thy house. And then it does not say that taking the Lord's Supper will forgive you of your sin. In fact, the opposite is said here in the Scripture. He said if you partake of the Lord's Supper with sin in your life, you could get very sick or even die as a result. Now this is what was happening in the church at Corinth. They were abusing this memorial, and they were setting forth the wrong truth, the wrong example. And uh, the Bible said they were eating and drinking damnation to themselves, not discerning the Lord's body. And he said some were getting sick and some were many sleep. That means they were dying. And he says forth the great truth that we are to judge ourselves. Now this is, if I sin against the Lord, what am I to do? I'm to deal with it. Now, I've had people say, well, I don't feel worthy. He says there, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. People have said, I don't ever feel worthy. I don't ever take of the Lord's Supper because I don't ever feel worthy to. Well, none of us are worthy in ourselves. But when he talks about unworthily, he's speaking, partaking of it with the wrong attitude and partaking of it with known, unconfessed sin in one's life. He encourages us, if there is sin, then judge it. Deal with it. Confess it, ask God to forgive you, and then go ahead and partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, what if I don't deal with my sin? If I don't deal with it, then the Lord will deal with it in chastisement. And it says, if we're without chastisement, then are we bastards and not sons, never been saved. So it is a table of separation. It is a table of salvation in the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior. It is, it is a, a, an event, a memorial that we should approach very seriously and approach with sin confessed, with sin acknowledged, 
and confessed and forgiven. And we have, of course, the illustration there in the Old Testament. Of course, the Lord's Supper was not in force at that time, but they had the Passover that typified Christ. And you remember the story of Daniel there. Daniel 1.8 said, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. That uh, uh, there when uh, he was confronted with having to drink the wine of the, uh, of the uh, heathen and, and all that, he refused to eat the wrong kind of meat and drink the wrong kind of wine uh, because he was separated to God. And then in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Then there's a third truth about the Lord's table, and that is a table of sufficiency. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, verse uh, 3 through 5, page 1231, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 3 through 5 uh, says, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone but in fleshly tables of the heart, and such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And so, it is uh, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are testifying that our sufficiency is of God, that we are not dependent on ourselves. We are not coming to the Lord's table expecting to get saved by partaking of the Lord's Supper, expecting to get our sins forgiven by partaking of the Lord's Supper. In fact, the opposite effect that before we partake of it, we confess and acknowledge our sin but we're testifying that we believe that Christ is all I need. As the song testifies, someone wrote the song, Christ is all I need. And I want to tell you, that's the only way to get saved. The only way, the only people that are saved are those that are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, if you're doing that, you're in the minority, I must say, because the majority of the religions of the world are trusting in their own efforts, in their own goodness. If I just do the best I can. You know, I, I've heard that. If I've heard it one, I've heard it hundreds, and I guess thousands of times. Uh, you know, do you, are you saved? Well, I hope so. And I hear this. I'm trying to do the best I can. The only thing wrong with that is it's really not a true statement to start with. I mean, is anybody in this building today could testify, could stand up and testify and say, I've always tried to do the best that I could? I dare say there's not a person but what would say, you know, I could have done better. I, I, I have failed. I have sinned. I have done wrong. I, I've tried to do right, but I could have done better. I believe I, I could, have, could have improved, right? But, but I hear, I, well, I try to do the best I can. First of all, that's not an honest statement. And second of all, if it was an honest statement, it's not good enough. Doing the best you can is not sufficient. 
scripture written in the book of the law to do them. So unless you unless you can uh, you can present a hundred percent a hundred percent doing the best you can, it's not sufficient. Our sufficiency is of God. My hope of heaven rests in Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. Because if it rests in me, I can testify to you today without hesitation that I will come up short. If my salvation depends on what I do, don't look for me in heaven. I'm not going to be there. If, I, if I'm wrong, if I'm misinformed and you get to heaven by your works, then I, I'm not going to make it. I don't know about you, but I know one thing for sure. I know I won't make it. And I try to live right, but that ain't good enough. Trying to live right won't do it, folks, because it ain't good enough. And, and uh, you know, if, 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 if the conditions that the Bible lays down, which is perfection, if that's what you have to produce, then I come up short. I testify. I admit I come up short. And the fact of the matter is that everybody else does too. Some will admit it and some won't, but the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we all come up short and we're all a bunch of sinners. It's a table of sufficiency and we testify when we partake of the bread, partake of the juice, we're saying that my trust, that, that broken body, when Jesus took a body of flesh and shed his blood, he took my sin and paid for him and, and bought my salvation and paid for it, and we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're admitting that. We're testifying to that. In fact, if you don't believe that, you should not take of it if you don't believe that Christ is the, one, the way of salvation. David said in Psalm 23, 5, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. God prepared a table for David there, and it was sufficient. Uh, Israel asked the question in Psalm 78, 19, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? God did. You know, he fed them with manna, and then he fed them with the quail. And God took care of Israel in the wilderness there. Gave them shoes that lasted 40 years. How would you ladies like to wear the same pair of shoes 40 years? You probably wouldn't like that too good. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought of that. If you ever thought of that, that's, the Bible says their shoes didn't wax old. What about those children? Did the shoes grow with the feet? I don't know. That wouldn't be no problem with God, though, would it? Uh, Lord... God that could open a Red Sea and they walk across on dry land, do you think that'd be any problem with God to make those shoes grow? Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically about that, but it says their shoes didn't wax old. It does say that. You say, well, maybe they handed the shoes down from the older children. I don't know about that. Maybe they did, but uh, God could have done whatever necessary to take care of that. And so the Lord took care of Israel uh, he fed them with the manna. He fed them with the quail. He gave them waters out of the great depths and out there in a the desert where there was no water. And the Lord was sufficient for them. The story of Elijah and how God took care of him, fed him with the ravens, and, and then by the widow woman sustained him there. All these, how God uh, cares for his own. And so when we observe the Lord's Supper, 
I trust it is a meaningful, meaningful thing. It is, it is a memorial. It is exactly that as the Passover was to remind Israel of God's deliverance out of Egypt. Because you see, that generation died, another generation came along and they died, another one came along and they died, and several generations down the road, uh, they, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they weren't there when God parted the Red Sea. They weren't there when God uh, spared their firstborn in Egypt. And so the Lord instituted the Passover as a reminder. And the Lord's Supper is to remind us of the body and blood of Jesus that did these things for us. I remember a story I read about two poor, two little poor boys had never been to the country and they were given a vacation there by a friend. And uh, they served meat for breakfast, meat for dinner, and meat for supper. And that night when the boys went to bed, the little boy turned over to his brother and his name was Jim. He said, Jim, if they spread that table again in the middle of the night, you wake me up. <laughs> They'd never been used to eating like that, had they? Well, God has a table for us, a table of sufficiency. Also reminds me of another story about, uh, about this little, little boy who was sick, and, and they took him to, to the hospital, and he was from a large family, but they were very poor. And they found that the boy was uh, malnourished, and they brought a big glass of milk. And the uh, little boy said, how far down can I drink? And the nurse, you know, couldn't believe what she heard. Says, what do you mean, how far down can I drink? Says, well, our family was very poor. And says, I could only drink so much milk and then hand it to the next child and they would drink so much milk. And, and we had to share the milk, the glass of milk. The nurse says, you drink it all, son. <laughs> you don't have to share it. It's all yours. You drink the whole glass. And I'm glad the Lord's like that. You know the devil, there's a spiritual lesson in that. The devil, he, uh, he only offers, there's pleasure in sin for a season. He only offers temporary pleasure. And, uh, but he, you have to just keep going back, don't you, over and over. But the Lord, when he, he satisfies completely, I thank God for that. Let's bow our heads, please.